name is Alex Culpepper. I am a ministry director on staff here at Village Church. I lead our Village at Victory ministry, which is uh, just an outreach to a nursing home. We lead a worship service there every uh, Sunday morning. And so it's, a, it's an honor for me to do that. I'm here also this morning to moderate something special for all of us. Uh, if you're not aware, Village Church has something called the Village Church Q&A podcast. It's kind of like a radio show where we ask really tough questions and, and the pastors try to answer those questions wisely. And so we're taking that Q&A experience and bringing it live here this morning, which I am super excited about. So we've been going through the series of Song of Solomon, and we've been talking about love, sex, romance, dating, attraction, affection, all of these things that are wrapped up in relationship. And so as we talk about these issues, uh, you might know that they're a little bit culturally charged. And as a result, we have a lot of questions about them. And so uh, we want to take an opportunity to answer those questions. And so you can do that even live today, right now. You can ask your questions and we'll seek to answer them. Now, here's the reality. We've already gotten more questions than we can possibly answer. And so as we go throughout uh, the next week, every day on the Q&A podcast, which you can find in the Apple Store or on the Village Church site, every week we will be answering the rest of the questions that we didn't get to answer here this morning. So on the Village Church app, down at the bottom, you'll see that you can ask a Song of Solomon Q&A question. Uh, when you submit those in the app, those will come directly to me up here, and I'll be able to filter through those and ask those real time. So right now, I'd like to invite the pastors up on stage. If you guys would come up, Pastor Michael, Pastor Tim, and Pastor Craig. I'm a grad student, and one of the most frustrating things for me is having a test that I have no idea how to prepare for. And that's kind of like the experience that these guys have here this morning. So I'm really excited to like maybe stump them or you know confuse them a little bit. It'll be it'll be fun. Um, so yeah, we may throw the question back at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, is yeah. that right? <laughs> can we punt to you? Good. All right, good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Okay, so uh, the, uh, we're going to go into the first round. In this first round, we're really going to focus on uh, raising kids and talking about issues of sex and dating and and love and and all of this. Now, what I was really encouraged by is that Village Church submitted a ton of questions about how we invest in the next generation, and that's just really encouraging to me to see uh, how intentional Village Church wants to be with the next generation, so that's very exciting. The first question is for Pastor Craig. How do I teach and motivate my students towards godly purity when it seems stupid, confusing, or irrelevant? to them? Good question. And, and you know, I, I have to say for some of these, I would say that uh, Matt and Lauren, I just want to tip my hat to them. They work with our, our youth and uh, I've been in on a, a few of those lessons and they do a wonderful job of teaching our youth from, uh, from where, not only them, but also the, the Iwana workers and all of the, the children's workers that we have in the church. So thank you for giving us a good uh, basis from which to work. Uh, I see the church and the parents working together and raising our children. The reason that I wanted to tip my hat there is because uh, it's, if, if you wait until uh, the, the kids are in their teens, you've waited too long. And, and that's the challenge. The challenge is that not only do you have to teach about these things, but you have to exhibit them as parents at home as well. Your children's best, uh, best chance to have good marriages and good relationships 
is what they hear from you, what is solidified in the church that you take them to, and what they see at home. And so one thing that I've really enjoyed in the messages that uh, Michael's been uh, giving us through Song of Solomon is the opportunity to see um, in Scripture how often God tells us our relationship with our spouse is pretty much the main ingredient for how our children will, will grow up and have relationships themselves. So I wanted to say that, uh, first of all, be, before we start. Um, I would say, give me the question one more time, Alex. Yeah, so how do, I, <laughs> how do I teach and motivate my students toward godly purity when it seems stupid, confusing, or irrelevant to them? Right. Uh, motivating them toward godly purity, uh, the ingredients that I just mentioned that God gives you have to be taken advantage of because your kids will go into a world, and you, we already know this, where all of those things are going to be challenged. They see it on TV. They see it in, in uh, schools and in classrooms. They hear it with their friends. We did too when we were younger, but I have to tell you, it's nothing like what they experience today. It has been, the lid is off insanity when it comes to um, sex and sexual relationships and how much our kids see and experience uh, outside of the home and outside of the church. And so uh, everything that you tell them right off the bat is going to be a challenge to them. And I think as parents, we need to realize that or as grandparents or as even teachers in the church, when they hear us almost say things that seem contradictory to what they experience in school and with their friends, and we have to hold our ground. And our ground should be held because it's based on scriptural principles. God has, like Michael's been telling us, an enormous amount to say about relationships throughout scripture. Why? Because if we fail at relationships, we misunderstand our relationship with God, and we will, we will portray to the world that God's relationships and his relationship uh, advice uh, or commands are not able to be paired up against the world. So... I would say it starts at home, it starts early, and it starts with regular conversations. And uh, there's probably a whole lot more that could be said on that, um, but, um, but that, that would basically yeah, be it. that's good. Thanks. Um, so, Pastor Tim, uh, there's a little bit of talk. Okay, we need to talk earlier. So there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions asking, uh, what age do we start talking to our children about sexuality? And, like, how? Like, is there, like, a gradation? How does, how does that work? Uh, I would say you probably need to start much sooner than you even think. If you think you're going to start talking to them in kindergarten, you could probably start talking about boyfriend-girlfriend questions, conversations about who you like and who you don't like um, in the opposite sex. Um, we started those conversations with our kids when they were probably three and four. Um, you know, uh, even casual conversations about, you know, uh, at church, you know, the little girls with my, my son, the little boys with my daughter, having, having conversations that are just casual. Again, not, not dating questions. That's, that's not, you know, you, you don't even address those at that point. But you address them as their, their character, the little girl that, you know, my son had a crush on or, you know, how, how can you have a crush at four? But, my son does. Yeah, and my son did too, you know. But they think it's a crush, you know. They, they, they think, you know. <laughs> but having those conversations and talking about the uh, character of the other children, uh, the choices that they make. Um, I loved what Craig said. You know, one of the things that we always 
we, we found ourselves often doing is, you know, our kids would come and, well, that's, that's not the way so-and-so's family does it. And I said, well, that's great, but that's not, we're not so-and-so family. No. You know, this is our family. Our family has different standards, and our standards are based on God's word and what we believe God would want best for you. God's not a fuddy-duddy. He's trying to protect you. <clears throat> He's trying to do what's best for you. So that's maybe three or four. How do we, so how do we advance this conversation about uh, sexuality and that sort of thing? And we'll open that up okay. to, to everybody here. I'll, I'll jump in. So um, at, as soon as my kids could remember, we're talking about my love story with my wife, how we fell in love. We're talking about uh, marriage. I mean, by the time my daughter was three, she knew if she ever, so help me God, dated a boy, that boy would have to get permission from me. And if he did not love Jesus, if he did not love her, if he did not protect her heart and her body, which is our, our, our phrase in our home, um, then he has no business being around her in that way. We talk about this. I mean, literally, I am raising my children in this generation. So are you. You're a little bit older, but you got grandkids now that you're going to be ushering into this next season. And uh, so it starts as young as we can. Some of you, I'm not going to, this is not a public school, private school debate I'm going to open. Some of you need to get your kids out of the public school, or if not, you may soon, depending on what happens in that context. Um, for me, I'll just tell you, if it gets crazy enough in certain contexts, I will not send a 7, 8, 10, or 12-year-old who does not even know how to think biblically thoroughly yet into a hostile environment where I give people nine hours of their day to indoctrinate them in total lies. Now, that being said, I'm not convinced that necessarily um, every public school in this circumstance is, it needs to be pulled out of yet. I'm just saying that we need to be very attentive to what happens here uh, and how we move forward. Uh, the church is going to have to think differently about how we consider, I'm, I'm guessing in the next 20, 10 to 20 years, how we consider private schooling and homeschooling depending on the trajectory of culture. Those are conversations. You may find churches with budgets to help families send their kids to Christian schools or to fund homeschooling co-ops or something like that. But one of the, I think, most challenging things, I'm going to speak to Matt and Lauren and their context. Hey, Matt. <clears throat> is, there is, there is a, a I, I think, a wrong perspective that says, I am the only person who can influence my child until they're 18. Yeah. And what I would say is a parent's job is to help their child leave and cleave. And at the beginning when they're young, um, my daughters are being influenced directly by godly women in this church that we choose to let influence them. They're allowed to go out with them and hang out with them, go on one-on-ones with them. Um, we choose that. But as they get older, one of the realities is that by the time they hit junior high or even before, they need to be developing relationships with older godly men and women outside of the family unit because we are not just going to expect them the day they turn 18 to go to college to be able to form adult relationships and have mentors. So part of the process of leaving and cleaving is being a part of a context where Jesus is central. Matt and Lauren um, filter out their leaders with all due diligence to make sure they are godly mentors who can come around them um, different ages. That is one, I think, the most unique privileges that we have being a part of a church. I think as kids grow up, giving them those witnesses. Now I'm going to stop talking because I could preach yeah, today. Cool. Uh, no problem. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to ask this question because this is one that came in. Should Christian parents, and you, you touched on this a little bit, should Christian parents allow their kids to go through public school sex education? Uh, and you flesh that out a little bit, maybe. Craig? That's it. <laughs> you can answer it, guys. Yeah, 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 go for it. I'd say it depends. It depends on, you know, as a parent... Um, do not buy into the, the philosophy 
that when you send your kids to public schools, the public school says, hey, we got this. Don't worry, parents. You just stay out of this. We got this. Don't buy into that philosophy. You get involved. You have every right. You Theoretically, you pay those teachers and, and those principals. You pay their salary. So when, when you hear or you know that something's going on at your school, get involved. My wife is a public school teacher in U46. And so... You know, we have, as parents and as Christian parents, we have done a disservice to the public school by just backing out and letting them handle it because they're professionals. What can I know? I'm the parent. You know, they're, know? they're the smart ones. And I can tell you, you don't want me to get started. I could preach for hours. Did you on see this. his energy go from three to 11? <laughs> that was sweet. Because it just, it, it drives me crazy when parents don't get involved in what is going on in their school system. Whether your kids go to a public school or private school, you know, what, whatever system it is, get involved and know what's happening and have a say. Part of the problem with a public school, in my opinion, is that we have backed out and we have given it over to the government to take over and, and to teach our children. And we know that doesn't always work well for any of us. The last right. thing I want to do is give the government <laughs> primary responsibility <laughs> yeah, to indoctrinate right. my children. Uh, pastor Craig. Yeah. I was a youth pastor for, for a, a, over a decade. And so uh, working with, with kids and working with schools uh, was uh, one, of the, one of the top things on my list. And the one thing that I learned uh, in this is if you have kids in the public school, you have got to fight to figure out what they're learning. Uh, they do not volunteer that information, uh, and you have got to work to get it. And likely if you do that, if you're willing to do that, uh, you'll be pegged as a, a crazy person, maybe a little bit, because you're a little overbearing for your children, God forbid. Um, but I would encourage you to fight for it. Fight for uh, what's going to be taught. Fight for who's going to be teaching the classes. Fight for background on the people that are going to be teaching the classes, because everybody has an agenda. And everyone who works at schools with kids has an agenda. And their agenda is not to lose. Their agenda is to win. To convince those kids, college all the way up through college, is to convince those kids they are right. Our job as parents is to combat that and make sure our kids know they may think they're right. God is always right. Okay, thank you, Craig. So, uh, Michael, I'm going to pass this one to you. Um, how do I raise my children? This is bringing it to the home. How do I raise my children to stay sexually pure when my spouse believes sex before marriage is okay? Uh, specifically, when my husband believes sex before marriage is okay and encourages my children to be sexually active, mm. how can I do this in a way that is still honoring to my husband? Yeah. Do you want to kick that to the podcast, maybe? No. Okay, cool. I, I'm going to be briefer than usual. Okay. Um, it's the, it is one of the least ideal circumstances because, as I shared with you, the issue of sexuality is the front lines of lies that are taking children away from following Jesus. They see the irrelevance of Jesus and the Bible on primary, what they consider primary issues of sexuality, gender, marriage, whatnot. So um, they are throwing out... Um, we'll say rational interpretations of scripture um, for what feels right based on these issues. This is the front lines. We lose this issue, we lose our kids. That's what we've learned. Um, and so, unfortunately, this is one of those circumstances that you, you can't change who you've married, right? The, the scriptures give you no permission to divorce somebody or to leave them because they're not a follower of Jesus or they don't share your ethical framework on sexuality. 
So this is one of these circumstances that is a result of our fallen world. And my wife and I, all of us, we do tons of, of marital counseling, and every circumstance is hard in its own right, and it's the result of sin. And somehow, uh, you have to be able to communicate to your children God's will for that. And you, I believe, have to get help, read books, study, and you have to grow uh, in your ability to communicate and articulate the most compelling vision of God's uh, desire for your child and their sexuality. Um, you have to not, if you are functioning out of a don't mindset, you will lose your kids. One of the, uh, another reality that we've learned about this generation and the coming generations is they, they violently, emotionally react to law and they want to be moved out of vision. And I actually think this is more of a human thing, but we're just so used to growing up in American culture, responding to law, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. They do not respond to that. We have to be equipped and you will have to go out of your way to be mentored by, study, uh, uh, whatever it takes to get the best information and skills to communicate God's vision for your child and sexuality. And you get on your face and you pray like crazy because God at the end of the day has to save them, give them the Holy Spirit, and then you get to come alongside and you just pray that the foolishness of whoever you are, your husband's perspective is clearly seen. Um, but it's hard because at the same time you wanna honor your, your husband, but there are, you don't honor your husband to the point where it causes you to sin. If honoring your husband causes you to sin, then you sin by honoring your husband and his sin. And so you may have to look at your husband and have a very clear conversation and say, we're both gonna have to agree to disagree and I want you to know out of all due respect, here's what I'm gonna be teaching our son or our daughter. And I know you're gonna be teaching them something different, so how about you and I, let's be civil about this, let's just agree to disagree and uh, let our child hear the best argument and win. But by the way, I'm gonna pray like crazy. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to move into the next round. This is a lightning round. I'm going to ask very simple uh, kind of yes or no question, one, one word answer questions. Uh, and so you'll all uh, violently agree on every single one of them. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But if not, uh, we'll, we'll kick those ones that you guys disagree on over to the podcast and, and address those there. So, um, <clears throat> so here we go, the lightning round. The first question, is it inappropriate to talk about sex in church? No. No. Okay. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Took you a minute. <laughs> it did take him a minute. Took you a minute. Uh, yeah. uh, right, do, do I need to start a career before I get married? No. Depends. Okay. I don't understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Do I need to graduate college before I get married? No. 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 Do I need to have money before I get married? Yes. Yes. No. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. This is fun. Uh, okay. Does Boomer. eloping nah, does, does eloping <laughs> in court count as marriage? Yes. Yes. No. Is it wrong for me to watch movies with sex scenes? It depends. Depends. Okay. Mostly. Okay. Mostly. I'll go with mostly. Okay. Fair enough. It depends what's happening. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's like saying is it wrong to read the Bible with a sex scene? Yep. Depends what's happening. There you go. The answer is no. Should I date a non-Christian if there's a chance they'll become a Christian? It depends on what Never. dating means. Yes. No. The, the, the date. The no. date. No. Yeah. No. No. Violently disagree. No. So, if, so if, can you reread the question? Yeah. So should so I don't think if I'm a Christian, it. should I date a non-Christian no. if there's a chance? No. 
that they'll become no. a Christian. So, no. so you wouldn't let your son go bowling with a, a girl if she was, if you weren't sure she was a, a date, believer? Okay, a prearranged social engagement no, no, is not I what mean, he's talking I mean, about. Like he's talking about like, I'm going to go on a date. No. Like, no. I'm interested. If it's a date, Thank you. date yes. no. If you're going to look up the dictionary definition of a prearranged social right, engagement. We'll cover that one on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Matt is, Lauren, what is the answer? No. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, I think you're going to do the podcast this week. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, is, is it important that I find my spouse physically attractive? Uh, yes. Podcast. Maybe. Um, maybe? I don't know. Okay. Yep. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, you're going to be in trouble when you go home. Is, these are great. These are perfect. He's not talking about his what? spouse. He's talking about so generically. Last, so the last time we did this, they knew all the questions, and so they all just agreed on everything. Now they can't agree on anything. It's fantastic. Um, oh. So here, you, you guys all get the right answer on this one. Who has the best wife, Craig, Tim, or Michael? Uh, me. That's me. not a question. That's me. easy. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. He agreed. That was crazy. All right, so we'll kick every one of those <laughs> questions the that I just asked over to the podcast. That'll yes. be perfect. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so of, I just want to clear, clarify, yeah. in case we do have some guests here that d don't know us that well. Yeah. Um, some of those questions, like they, they, they play in the nuance, right? Yeah. Right. That's it exactly depends. Right. It depends so on what I'd you let, mean like by those words. Instance, I'd let my my little girl go bowling with with a boy. Right. Um, but with a group of other kids. With a group of other kids, yeah. or or even maybe by themselves to hang out for for a couple hours after school. But what about I, glow in the dark bowling? But dating is a different Touché. thing. Touche. Dating, by definition, no. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That was fun. Uh, so uh, this is this is the last round, and this is sort of like a catch-all round of just questions that don't fit neatly into any category. Um, the first question is this, and this is for Pastor Craig, and I'm debating whether or not I want to ask it. So here's the question: What if neither partner in the marriage has a desire for sex for various or different reasons? Um, can the marriage still be healthy and vibrant? How? There are marriages that are not able to have physical relationships for different reasons, but if they can, they should. Um, and there's different levels of intimacy that you can, you can have in a marriage relationship. Um, and if you, don't, you, if you don't experience those levels of intimacy as God intends for a marriage to do, the marriage will not grow properly. There will be things that will occur that, uh, that are too difficult to deal with later on because that, that step has not been taken. Um, so that goes back to, do I find my wife uh, attractive, right? Right, yeah, and we're, we'll talk about that in the podcast. So um, it's, you know, other people may not find your spouse attractive, but you should, yeah, absolutely, because the more you develop an intimacy... I thought that was a podcast question. Yeah, it is. Okay, good. I'm saying they're kind of linked in a way because yeah. as I develop a love for my wife's heart, I will develop an urge to be intimate with her. That, that's the way that we're created to be. I like that, that's good. So, so we learn to love who they are, and then the intimacy in physic, physical relationship will come later. It may look different for different people based on whatever the, the Lord has put providentially into their lives, but there should be a level of physical intimacy, yes. Okay, thank so you. So can I just... Yeah, yeah go on. Um, I'm not gonna disagree, I'm just... We, we, we tend to look at the world and like we get to the same answer, but we start in different places. Yep. It's kind of fun. Tim and I are the same way. So basically, three different perspectives. But um, brokenness in, in life with your mom, with your dad, um, sexual abuse, um, uh, I could just go on and on. 
all contribute to this experience that we know as sexuality and sexual desire and whatnot. Um, take off the table the, the discussion of nature or nurture. Uh, it is profound to me that uh, broken people sexually come from broken contexts almost all the time. So almost all the time. In fact, it is so incredibly rare that I'm even having a hard time in all of the sexual brokenness we have navigated, not finding some kind of root cause. Uh, Maybe one circumstance comes up. But my point in saying that is we have to understand that if you, there are some circumstances where you physically cannot have a sexual relationship with your spouse. And that is not, that is because of sin, but it is not necessarily your personal sin. That's sin in us affecting our bodies. And Jesus's grace covers that and that is a very real circumstance, and those are, those are unique. They're not the norm. Um, but one of the things, if you have two people, depending on their age, right, especially, but if you have two people who have no desire sexually, I would just submit back to you and say, it might be because of brokenness inside of you that is manifesting itself in your sexual relationship. Because there is a, a we'll say, a norm, and that is not the norm, but when we see that things don't function according to the norm, it's typically because these things that have been done to us or that we have done are still following us and there's residue. I, I'm not, I, I can't speak for you or whoever you are, your circumstance. I can just say anecdotally and experientially, statistically, psychologically, even say to some degree biblically, like those, you just got to go deeper and not just settle for that. I find um, with myself, there are things I don't even realize that are in me and they come out in my 30s and I'm like, what? And I'm sure you've got them. And then you talk to some people and they're like, wow, I didn't realize this. I'm in my 70s and I just realized I've been carrying this baggage with me for 64 years, you know? And that's, so there's just a lot of stuff inside of us that we don't even realize sometimes. But when we see these manifestations, these markers, these not normal things, we got to dig and go a lot deeper there and not just settle and say, ah, that's who I am. I'm done. And can I just back no. off that? Yeah. So, uh, no, I agree. Um, some sort of brokenness keeps us from being who God wants us to be, and God built us in order to have an intimate physical relationship with our partner. So that needs to happen, but it can happen at different levels. Yep. So if you, if you are, um, you know, if you can only get to a two or a five or whatever it is that you, it might be a 10 for somebody else, but you're, you're moving toward an intimate relationship. And so I would, I would agree with, with Michael as well, um, that, uh, if you're capable of having a physical relationship and you're not, there's likely something that has occurred that is keeping you from being who God intended for you to be inside that relationship. Okay, thank you. So uh, here's another question that's kind of in a a different category. So this is for Pastor Tim. Uh, Pastor Tim, is online dating wise for the single Christian? Uh, And this is a woman asking this question for the single Christian woman. If a woman starts online dating, does it mean she stopped trusting in Jesus to bring her a husband? And you better be real careful on this. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to answer this question, Alex? Um, no, no, you got it. I think Alex, <laughs> Alex and Andrea met on an online dating service. Yeah. And they successfully yeah. have a great marriage. And it was ordained by God. Yes. Yeah. And 55% of couples now are meeting online. That's, anyways, for what it's worth. A lot of thoughts on this. Um, I see nowhere in Scripture does it even talk about dating. As we use da- the term dating in our culture doesn't exist in scripture. I mean, it is any kind of dating in scripture is, is silent. There's, there's silence. So whether you're online dating or using an online dating service or whether you're dating conventionally as we know it in our culture, 
that none of that existed in Scripture. In Scripture, every marriage was ordained, uh, preordained, prearranged um, by the parents. And so, um, in some ways, um, they didn't have to deal with this in Jesus' day or Abraham's day. Um, having said that, I, I don't think there's anything wrong. Um, you know, there, in our culture, in, in the way in which we do dating, um, everyone, we all vet each other out. There's, there's always this physical checking it out. There's... there's um, you know, there's the emotional and spiritual, you know, discussions. Where are you at about this? And when two people get together, they ask each other a bazillion questions, or they should be asking each other a bazillion questions. What do you think about this? And what about that? And, you know, what do you think about all kinds of stuff? You've got to know that you're uh, somewhat on the same page because there's got to be an intellectual and an emotional connection uh, with someone that you have any kind of um, long-term relationship with. That's what online dating does. You know, online dating does that a little bit quicker because depending on the, the service, you're answering all these questions about yourself and the other person should be answering all these questions about themselves. Yeah. And hopefully they're doing it honestly. And I'll, I'll kind of jump into this one. The caution on that is that people can put personas online yeah. um, that are different from their in-person interaction. And so just uh, that's something to be aware of in this whole process. Um, and, you know, it's something that that's why the whole like meeting in person, talking about yeah. this stuff. Yeah. And whether it's virtual or whether it's actual, you know, the ver everyone puts on this their best face. They put on their best clothes. They put on their best personality when they date or when they're, you know, uh, trying to discover, do I want to have a long-term relationship with this, this person? So there is a little bit of deception or a little bit of putting your best foot forward. And whether it's, you know, in real life or whether it's, you know, online, you should, you know, be aware of that, that this person is trying to show themselves in their best light. The other thing is, um, you know, after, at some point in this online process, you have to actually meet the person, <laughs> you know. Uh, you? Yeah, I, I would think. Is that important? Yeah, I think it is huh? going to be. And, th and I think it's a great time then to bring other people along that you trust and say, okay, so what do you think? You know, we've just had our first meeting. What, do you, what was your impression? Because we all, um, when we're in the dating process, we're looking for that person to be exactly what we want them to be. And sometimes we see them in our own rose-colored glasses, rose glasses. And they're glasses. really not, you know, there's, there's subtle um, things that they do or say that should tip us off that, no, they said this, but this is really how they're behaving. And we don't see it. And that's why it would be good to bring uh, another person or a couple of people with you. Yeah. That's good. Uh, anybody have anything else on that? I've been called the interrogator. Last night, there was actually a dude in our church, and I, I, I saw him, and he was with this girl, and I said, are you guys dating? And he goes, they go, yes, we are. And I said, step aside. And I just looked at her, and I started asking her questions. Ask her the hundred questions. And she was great about Straight, it. Like, I good. knew if she was dating this guy, then she was going to be all right with it. And uh, I so actually experienced to... that, <laughs> Michael, as the interrogator. You came like to my situation. house yeah, that's at right. my dinner table, and I was like, all right. 
Gloves off. Talk, exactly. Let's talk about doctrine. <laughs> Done. Yeah, it was great. Uh, okay, so uh, I'm going to toss this off to, to Pastor Craig to start out with, but I invite uh, the other two to, to chime in on this. I feel like our marriage has become dull. What are some strategies to put the, quote, fizz back in the Coke of our marriage? <laughs> um, and, and then there's, there's a caveat to this as well, um, asking what role could the church play in this as well? So. Okay, so that's actually where I was going to start. Um, the, the lie of the world in this case is that if you lose the fizz in your Coke in your, in your relationship, um, that, it out. <laughs> that it's the other person's fault or you're not getting what you need. The truth of Scripture is always if you lose the fizz of, of what is it? Fizz the of Coke fizz, in your marriage? Fizz in your Coke. You need to put some carbonation in your marriage. <laughs> if you need to put yeah, some carbs, some carbs in yeah. your marriage. Um, not carbs. Not carbs. Not carbonation. Carbonation. Canadians always make it. The truth of scripture <laughs> always starts with you. Yeah, look in the mirror. It always starts with you. And oh you may God. think, and you may be justified, and you may think to yourself, I'm not getting what I need. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And, and you may be right on some levels. But when you talk about Christianity, it flips everything on relationships on its head. And if you want to have a spark in your marriage that starts again, it has to start with you. You have to take it upon yourself to either stop doing some things that you're doing or start initiating other things. And most likely, um, it starts with a lot of prayer. I would, I would say spend time praying and fasting and asking God to give you some ideas on what you can do to start making your spouse love you again. Because if they married you, they, will, they have loved you in the past, and they will love you still. There's, there's a, and if you're marriage in God's good providence, if you're, if you're married, then there is a spark of relationship in there. And if you ignite that spark, you can start the flame again. But it has to start with you. Um, again, you may think it's the other person, and you may be 90% right in some cases, but there's still 10% that you can do more. And I would say one of the main ways that you can do that um, is start giving yourself back to God the way that you need to, and that can happen personally. It can happen in your in your relationship together. You can start praying together, reading Scripture together. But one of the one of the things that my wife and I have experienced that gives us one of the most intimate um, uh, times of re- in our relationships is when we spend time in church. That's really weird for you maybe to hear. But it simply means this, she loves God, and I love God, and when we get together and we hear about God, we love each other more. And, uh, and that is the way uh, that our marriage is, is made to function as believers. If, if you're asking this as a believer, that triangle, you and your spouse and God, is meant to be an illustration of the Trinity, and the Trinity is unbreakable. So I would say look in the mirror and give it a shot. And there's lots of books out there on how you can uh, ignite that uh, passion again. But uh, Or you can ask any one of us. We'd love to give you some ideas. But ultimately, it's, it's going to take some effort, and you can do it. I want to take it a little bit different direction. I agree with what you're saying. For Renee and I, being married 34 years, there's been lulls in our fizz. And, and that happens. I mean, you have kids, you have work, you're chasing everything that can possibly move that you don't want it to move too far. And so, meaning children usually. Yeah. And, and, and mice. so, yeah, and yeah, not mice, not, you know, not the little ones, little critters, but the bigger critters. We have to go back in the Old Testament. 
Israel was given many different instructions. Look, this was a monumental event. Put some memory stones here, build a, build a memorial, because one day you're going to need to look back on this and remember what God did for you. I think that, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, the old photo albums or, you know, the digital photos, you need to, at times to go back and just sit down and say, you know what, we're going to turn the TV off. We're going to look at what did God do for us five years ago, 10 years ago? Look at where the kids are at now. Um, there is nothing more emotionally connective than to look back and see what God has done through our marriage and through us and for us and, and to be, be excited about what God has done. You know, and we need to go back and look at and remember the blessings of God. That, that sparks... Um, a lot of fizz. That's good. Thanks, Pastor Tim. Uh, so I'm going to ask you guys to be transparent, and I'm going to ask you to do it in a short amount of time. Uh, so this last question, in your own marriage, in what areas are you most likely to come up short of God's expectations? How do you fight against this tendency? Now I'll start. Yeah. So you try getting up in front of hundreds of people every week, talking about God's vision for marriage, what a biblical man is, you know, here's what dads are supposed to do, and then I got to go home and be me, right? Because there is always a gap between what God's word says and the man proclaiming it. Otherwise, I'd be Jesus, and I'm not. So uh, I, I, there, there was a moment, I think it was last Sunday, where my wife pulls out her phone, and she starts videotaping me, and uh, I called her on, and the moment I'm this like, will stop be used it. against you. Yes. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to hold on to this one. And, uh, and so I find regularly, like, there's what Jesus wants of me, there's what I feel like I can do, but then there's where my heart is, and my heart always wins. That's been one of the most frustrating things for me is I'll talk about, you know, being attentive to my children, right? And then I'm, I'm wiped and I've given my best to something else rather than my wife or my kids, the best of my energy. Um, I'll be honest with you, it was like three months ago, my daughter comes up to me and she's in bed and I go up and say, hey, good night, V. And she says, you work all the time, stop it. And I was like, we need to go on more dates. I need to whatever. And I went back and I redid my entire schedule because stuff just happened, you know? It just, you know, it just happens. And it took a six-year-old looking me in the face at 9.30 at night, when she should have been bed at 8.30, and uh, it took her saying that to me. And so I find I live in this constant discrepancy. Um, and when I, when I listen to my sermons, because I want to submit myself to the same torture I put you through, uh, I, I listen to it, and, I, and I, I'm actually preaching to my heart. Um, that's one of the things that people <clears throat> don't always understand about the preacher is that uh, if we stand up with a prophetic voice, uh, it does not necessarily mean that we have landed that perfectly. Because what we want to be able to do is say, despite me, the messenger, God's word still stands as true and right and authoritative and good. And, um, but I, I would say, like, if you put my wife up here, she would probably say, me being patient, attentive, all there when I'm home, um, and honestly, shepherding her soul would be the places where I'm trying to grow the most. I've, I've never in my life understood how tender and sensitive a woman's soul is until I had little girls, and uh, my little girls were like the greatest gift to me, and when I saw them and how easily I could break them, I realized, like, wow, I, I have to relearn how to handle a woman's heart and soul. It's one of the most precious and tender things. And, uh, and so that's, I feel like, for the last eight or nine years, my, my mission in life is to be able to tenderly handle a woman's heart and soul, particularly my wife, by the way. Let me be clear on which woman. <laughs> and my daughters. So. Yeah. Uh, Pastor Tim, 
in like one minute. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was more than a minute. It was for a minute for me, um, Renee and I, we, we discussed this question because I knew this question was coming. Or we, we all knew this question was coming. For me, did you? Yeah. We oh. did know this one. We did know this one. Not, not all of those, but this one. I don't think I did. And uh, for me, um, I, came, I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. And so it is, um, it's always a, a battle to not, I love my parents. Um, I, it's a battle for me not to become my father and uh, not to uh, project Renee as my mother because they, both my father and mother were not, not the best that they could be. Now God has changed them. Um, both of them have become Christians and are following the Lord completely differently now than they were when we were kids. But that is an ongoing battle. And we've been married, you know, all these years. And it's still, you know, we haven't asked the question. You haven't asked the question. But, you know, one of the things that's absolutely taboo in our home is saying, you're just like my mother or I'm, I'm just like her father. We just don't do that. Uh, and the reason why is because that's, there's, there's a, that's a bad place to go. And so we just refuse to do that. So for me, that's what it is. Pastor Craig. Uh, my verse for this is in uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. It's not talking down to her. That's simply a, a, a place of affection for the, for the husband and uh, theologically understanding our place as husbands. Uh, Since they are heirs with you of the grace of God so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a lot riding on my relationship with my wife and apparently a lot riding on my ability or my willingness to live with her in an understanding way. Um, it's so easy for me to consider my schedule and my needs and my responsibilities and the people that uh, I'm obligated to, but my wife has this whole nother life that she's living on the side. And so for me, it's a, it's a constant reminder that she's got a lot of obligations and responsibilities and needs that she's trying to meet um, as well as me. And so for me, I would say that verse is, is one that I revisit over and over again because it's important for me to live with my wife in an understanding way. And if I seek to do that, um, I will be more compassionate to her, more understanding to her, more patient with her, uh, and may, maybe even sacrifice a little bit more of my own stuff because I know she has, she has greater needs in some cases than even I do. That's good. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Well, that's the end of this, uh, this service's Q&A. Now, next service, we're going to be asking entirely different questions. So if you <laughs> want to stick around, you can do that. But uh, we'll also be asking questions on the podcast. Both of these services and the podcast are available on the Village Church website. They're available in the Apple Store. Anywhere where you can find podcasting material for Village Church, you can find these services and the podcasts that will be released this week there. Here are some questions that are going to come up on the podcast this week. Uh, can a single woman adopt children? Uh, there, there's somebody noticing a difference in translation between the NIV and the ESV, and they're asking which translation is right um, and how they figure that out. How do you actively fight against sexual immorality and impurity in your marriage? And uh, also, how do you deal with issues of past sexual sin in your marriage? Um, question, are there appropriate ways for romance to occur between singles? Uh, should young women remain under their father's protection until they marry? There are tons of other questions that we're going to be covering, uh, and that's going to be this week. So I'm excited about that. Right now, I'd like to take uh, just an opportunity to pray for our pastors and uh, pray for Village Church. Father, 
Thank you for giving to your creation the gift of marriage, the gift of relationship. Lord, in relationship, we learn a little bit about you, and so we thank you for that. Thank you for this series of Song of Solomon, where we've been able to look at what your expectations are. Lord, how we can live faithfully to you. Father, thank you for our pastors, their willingness to come up and get grilled, uh, and, but also to be transparent. Lord, I pray for their marriages, that you would strengthen their marriages, that you would increase the love that each of them have for their wives. Lord, I pray for the relationships in Village Church, the, the marriages in Village Church. Lord, would you strengthen all of us because we want to be faithful to you. So Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.